You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Matt Adams, I'm Dave Griffiths. Appreciate you having us alongside here as we are now just one week away, Matt, from Colts training camp opening up. We have made it through the doldrums. We have made it through the dead period. The NFL is returning around. Even right now, as we talk, some teams have gathered already. The Jets have gathered for their training camp, I know, as well, because ESPN's been all over them because you got to talk about the Jets. I saw Aaron Rodgers in his new uniform. Yeah, exactly. That was a big deal today. So, so. so it's such a big deal. So, uh, so everybody's blowing up about that, but we'll be blowing up, obviously, here next week for uh, for all our Colts coverage. Our Mike Chappell is scheduled to be back then. So as I was just telling Matt, Chapp is not going to start the season on the pup list. He is uh, going to be limited, perhaps, in practice practice out there but he does plan to be out in practice uh so if you are out there at a a training camp and and you see him give him a shout out as well and uh we're always glad to 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 hear from you guys the fans and and see you there at training camp uh as we uh as the Colts still have something that's become more rare in the NFL these days Matt which is an availability to fans to have the fans out there and Chris Boward has repeatedly said how much he values it And, and it's a lot of fun for for the fans to get out there and I know it's good for the players afterward to to have that interaction with the fans too so they seem to enjoy it uh putting on a show for for people is kind of what the nfl is and they're starting here in training camp Uh, it's just really nice for the fans especially when uh this year especially you've got a rookie quarterback everybody wants to get a look at gives you a good look at the team you know you get some interaction with the players and stuff like that which as you mentioned not all nfl teams uh fans have that opportunity so the 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 colts do give them that and those night practices and such are really good experiences for for fans so this week we're going to focus a lot on running back contracts in the NFL because a that has been a big deal in terms of uh, the uh, the national landscape the NFL and also it has a uh, very much a a relevant uh, undertone to what's going on here in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor so we'll talk about that a lot and we'll each list our top five most indispensable players to the Colts this year now what I mean by that is if they are were no longer on the team if they got hurt then they would be they would provide the biggest uh drawback I guess that uh that that would inhibit the team the most so what so I think indispensable is the word that I came up on it's not best players is not the the one through five the best players I think on this Colts team but the top five players that the Colts need the most to be successful this year I guess is is maybe an easy way to say it too so uh so we'll get to that in a little bit but uh but we will begin with the fact that the Colts uh, have announced their July 29th training camp practice has sold out quote-unquote all free tickets have been distributed for that practice as part of the NFL's welcome back weekend. It's a night practice there uh, out in Westfield, the 6 p.m. practice. Um, fans will find some coverage, uh, as Matt tells us here, on ESPN, NFL Network, and ABC if they cannot attend. So um, as of this recording, as we tape, tickets are still available for other practices. So this one was always going to be the one that was like it was the first night practice, you know. It's the, the first welcome back weekend. It's where fans can first see them. So this was always going to be the one that gets sold out first. But but still, if you're planning to come for a night practice or a weekend practice, especially, I'd highly recommend you getting online and getting one of those free tickets to secure your spot right now. Well, and the Colts are competing with the first weekend of the great Indiana State Fair as yeah, well, which yeah. opens on the day before. So that's that's pretty I, – I mean, you know, of course the State Fair runs for three weeks, but Colts training camp runs for a few weeks as well. Right. So, you, you know, if you'll have time to go from one to the other or whatever. But still, no, that's a good sign for them. I, I do love the fair. That's a lot of fun, especially when you have kids. You see it through different eyes. It's just it's been been cool the past couple of years to do that myself on a personal note. Anyway. All right. Uh, let, let's get to what will be the meat of this uh, this uh, this podcast, talking about running back contracts. And um, th- we are we are in a far different situation in the NFL, Matt, than we were 20 or 30 years ago. When it comes- <laughs> like, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We are when, when it comes to the value of running backs. And um, there's a lot of very upset running backs right now in the NFL because three notable running backs did not get new contracts. And this one this week, Monday, was the deadline for players who are franchise tag to sign long term contracts with their team. So now they don't get that. They will play this year on the under the franchise tag. Those three players are the Raiders, Josh Jacobs, who is the NFL's leading rusher last year. Crazy, man. It is the Giants, Saquon Barkley and the Cowboys, Tony Pollard. No long-term deal for any of them, so the franchise tag will pay them $10.1 million this year, and they're not allowed to negotiate a long-term deal until after the season. Um, 
Jacobs, as I mentioned, led the NFL in rushing last year. Saquon Barkley had a tremendous bounce back year. He was uh, high up in the comeback player of the year voting, finished third. Was very valuable to that Giants team, obviously, uh, that did much better than expected under uh, first-year coach Brian Dable. And uh, Tony Pollard, more than 1,000 yards rushing, nine touchdowns himself, three more receiving uh, touchdowns too. So I, I got to say first that I was – like, Matt, I was surprised that none of them got, got a deal. Like, I would have thought that somebody would have worked out something, but the fact that none of them worked out a deal was, was, was pretty surprising to me. I really – I mean, I didn't necessarily think like, like Pollard would, but I thought Saquon Barkley would, would get a deal because if – not, not that any of these guys are not indispensable to their teams or, or what have you, but B- Barkley is just so important. And with the quarterback that they've got there, um, you kind of need to handcuff those two together, I feel like. And I think he's worth the money as far as what he can do out on the field. Yeah, especially running backs that, that are dual threat, that are that are reliable in the running game and the passing game, seem to be more valuable. Like right, right now, the most valuable, the two most valuable running backs in the league in terms of who signed the biggest contracts are uh, – uh, Christian McCaffrey, whose contract averages about $16, $16.5 million a year, and Alvin Kamara, whose contract averages about $15, $15.5 million a year. And uh, Kamara signed for five years, and uh, McCaffrey signed for four. So technically, Kamara signed for more money, but McCaffrey is just uh, is, is slightly more uh, in terms of average yearly value. Um, but, but those two guys, obviously, uh, running the ball and catching the ball, they, they do both of them. And um, in the NFL these days, obviously, you have to protect for the quarterback as well. This is a passing league. What did Shane Steichen, new Colts coach, say when he came here? Like, we're going to pass to score. Run to run win to the win. game. Exactly. Yep. And that's that's kind of the, the, the standard right now is you need to you need to sc- you obviously need to score points to win. And if you're going up against teams that also score points, you're just going to need to keep passing and passing and passing. You cannot run the ball to score points in the NFL. That's really just not how it works. Um, you, you, you pass to score. And then you run once you get the lead to to win the game, to keep the ball away from the opposing offense, to keep get your defense rested, to uh, to solidify your win, to hold on to it, to grind the other team into a pulp, into oblivion. And uh, and that's that's how the majority of teams work these days and teams that don't do that really like the Colts have been the past couple of years, being more of a running team, have not been playoff teams. That's, no. that, that's just just what it is right now, because teams can can score so dramatically in the passing game that you need a passing game in order to be be a a successful and I use successful NFL franchise in terms of a team that's competing in the playoffs and for a Super Bowl every year so you you can run for 1800 yards and have 18 touchdowns and be player of the week and player of the month and have a great season for a team but it doesn't get you into the playoffs. We know that. And you're saying, Dave, you're you're just you're just spouting out things. You're not you're not using any evidence. Well, here's my evidence for you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So, Super Bowl winners over the past ten years. I have the list right here. Okay, I, I was struggling to look that up today, so I'm yes. glad you took Good. care of that for me. And I have their leading rusher for the season for the entire season. And his base or his uh, his salary against the salary cap for that season. So last year, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Their leading rusher for the season was seventh round pick Isaiah Pacheco. His salary was $724,000. The year before that, the Rams won the Super Bowl, 2021. Their leading rusher for the season was Sony Michelle. And his salary was $1.8 million. I'm going to tell you right now that $1.8 million is the largest of the past nine years. That's it right there. That is insane. So you all know, like as I'm getting to the rest of these stats, $1.8 million against the cap was the largest salary uh, for a leading rusher of a Super Bowl winning team over the past nine years. Before that, the Tampa Bay Bucks, Ronald Jones II, $1.1 million. They also had... What's his name? Uh, LeGarrette Blunt on their roster. Oh, yes. He was making not not LeGarrette Blunt. I'm uh, sorry, Leonard Fournette. Yeah, Fournette. And big, he, yeah, 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 yeah the other guy. big guy. He was making he was making two million technically, but he was not their leading rusher. Uh, the year before that, uh, the Chiefs Damian Williams one million in 2019. 2018, the Pats Sony Michelle. It's his second time on this list. Four hundred eighty thousand dollars. Then we get to LeGarrette Blunt with the Eagles in 2017. Nine hundred thousand dollars. 2016 Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt, back-to-back LeGarrette Blunt, Taylor County, Florida's finest. I'm still seeing run over the Colts' uh, defense. That's right. Uh, just don't uh, don't see him against uh, Boise State uh, uh, socking a dude in the chin 
uh, when he was still playing for Oregon back there in college. I, I still remember watching that live, dude. <laughs> like, I was watching that game live. I saw it happen live, and I was like, what just happened? And of course, you're TiVoing back then. Like, rewind. I want to see that again happen. And he just socked the dude right in the face. Uh, and, and then it worked himself out to quite the NFL career. So I do like to see a good comeback story. Anyway, I digress. 2016, the Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt, his second year in a row, $760,000, his hit against the cap. 2015 Broncos, Ronnie Hillman, of course. Ronnie Hillman. Yeah. $770,000 against the cap. They also had C.J. Anderson on that team. That was their uh, their one-two punch. 2014 Patriots, Shane Vereen. They also had LeGarrette Blunt on that team. Yes, they did. <laughs> but uh, Shane Vereen was their leading rusher for the season, $746,000. That took us back to 2014, so that's nine years. And then 10 years ago, finally, we get to the Seattle Seahawks, who won. Marshawn Lynch, their leading rusher that year. He was one of the highest paid uh, running backs in the NFL, was making $7 million that season back in 2013. So that's how far back, Matt, we have to go before we see a team win a Super Bowl with one of the highest paid running backs in the league. And that is evidence as to why we are making all these other claims about the NFL and how you need to be successful passing to win the Super Bowl. That running is very much ancillary when it comes to winning the Super Bowl. It's nice, but you're going to need to pass to score points. And that's what all those teams that I just rattled off all their names did over the years. They passed to score points. They ran when they had to, but it wasn't running to bust up your running stats and get 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns. That's not the purpose of running the ball in the NFL right now. It is to win the game. It is to be efficient in that area. It's not to put up big numbers. Those are the teams that win, as evidenced by me talking for the past five minutes. Well, I mean, the old axiom used to be that you run to set up the pass, and now you don't do that anymore. You, you pass, and then you hope that you can run the ball out at the end of the game. You know, or maybe yeah. that you have a guy that's capable of, you know, punching it in when you're on the three. That's what you use the running game for now. So we bring that to um, also to, to show us just how the NFL has devalued running backs. Uh, this is a great stat that, that you gave us here in this rundown that the franchise tag amount for running backs just six years ago was 12 million. And now in 2023, the franchise tag, even as the salary cap has gone right. up, has ballooned right. up. It's not kept up with inflation. No, so it has in fact gone down. It has gone down to 10 million. It has dropped by $2 million. And that number is based on just the top certain number of contracts in the league for running backs and kind of averaged out. And, and so that that's how it is done. It is done based on what running backs are earning. So now running backs, not, not only are, are NFL teams like making more money and they're giving more money to their players, but they're giving less money to their running backs right now. They're giving it to quarterbacks, and they're giving it to left tackle, and they're giving it to wide receivers especially, as we've seen the last couple years. And this is not because there is some mass conspiracy against running backs, Matt. And I know that running backs will be upset by this, but... Like it, it's not because NFL owners are coming together and saying we we need to pay running backs less. It, it, if running backs could prove that they were of the value to their NFL teams to win, to make the playoffs, to make the Super Bowl, to win Super Bowls, then they would make that kind of money. They would. The the market determines their value. And the market has proven that quarterbacks get that money, that defensive ends get that money, or defensive tackles if they can cause havoc in the backfield. Last year, wide receivers, a big one. Big, big year for wide receivers in free agency last year and the year before. I found something that Agent Lee Steinberg tweeted out. Uh, Lee is a friend of the program. He's come on our show here before. He's the agent for, uh, what's his name, uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, among Dozens, uh, among many, dozens many, many. Of, of NFL players, a uh, really great guy. But he says uh, to construct comp levels for running backs, a top running back needs to make statistical argument for why he is essential to offense and the QB will be subject to endless sacks without him. This happened with wide receivers last year. So he's the one in the rooms with uh, NFL GMs and front offices. Uh, he's the one who's making these contract pitches and going back and forth with guys like Chris Ballard around the league. He knows what GMs and coaches want to see with their offense. They need the quarterback. They need the quarterback to be protected. They need something to be beneficial to the quarterback in order to show that it is valuable to your, to your offense and to your team. I could, you Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is valuable to the Colts' offense, but... That also begs the question, if your offense is reliant on a running back gaining 1,800 yards and scoring 20 touchdowns, is that 
the most beneficial offense to an NFL team to success in the NFL. And I, th- I think that's what we've been talking about for the past few minutes. I think the answer to that question is no. So you want to pay a running back, but uh, you have a guy who, in Jonathan Taylor who I think is one of the best running backs in the league when he is healthy. I don't think there's much denying that, but what value is that to your franchise? That is the question they have to ask, and that is the question history says as of late it is not what it used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago. So um, where are we right now, Taylor? I, well, he, I, he, he responded uh, this week. There, there yes. was a guy, a, a draft analyst, Matt Miller, who tweeted, uh, basically, if uh, you should draft a, a, a running back, probably not in a later round, you play him. If he's good, you franchise him one time, and then you go and you draft another guy. Yeah. And, and, and Taylor responded to that with kind of a rebuttal that's like, if you're good enough, mm-hmm. they'll find you. You work hard enough, you'll succeed. If you'll succeed, you'll boost the organization. You know, the, the, the rising tide lifts all ships. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't matter if you're running back. And, his and, rebuttal to and, that. And I get that. Like, I get that he's frustrated by it, and I get his response. And I think the response to his rebuttal is, well, you boosted the organization to what? Like, you didn't make the playoffs in the year that you ran for 1,800 yards and, and scored 20 touchdowns. So how, how much did you boost the organization, really? And last year, you just completely came apart. Yeah, um, yeah he injured. He only played in 11 games last year. Yeah. Sub 1,000 yards. Like, he had some good games, touchdowns. absolutely, but he was a shell of his 2021 yeah, self. didn't break uh, – because that 2021 season – Routinely, like you could almost set your watch to it. There will be a play yeah. that Jonathan Taylor is going to make. He's going to break a big run. Yep. Uh, did not happen on yep. many occasions last year. Yep. And, and here's something also that's working against running backs right now. I want to tell everyone listening because I think this is something that, that could get lost in the weeds that when the NFL PA renegotiated its collective bargaining agreement with the NFL several years ago, they changed some of the rules about draft picks and how early they can re-sign second contracts before after like two years you could start negotiating a contract uh, like another contract so if you have a running back who's had two tremendous seasons right out of the gates they can try to start strong arming the team for for more money and to basically extend their contract um that's not the case anymore you need to wait after um, after I think it's three years now, uh, in, in, in your first contract, uh, you have to wait at least until, um, yeah, until three years and maybe even for first round picks, I think it's four because then you can, you have the you, fifth you year have option. The, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, to, to really sign a, a long-term deal after that. And the problem with running backs is as opposed to other positions, like I'll, I'll compare it to an offensive tackle. An offensive tackle is usually coming into his own when he's 28, 29. And then, like, he could be really good before then, but his best years are, like, 28 to 32, 33. Like, you get five years there when when you're still young enough and strong enough, but you know uh, so much more than you knew six, seven years ago that that is your your money-making year. And for quarterbacks, same thing. It's, like, late 20s or early 30s. Heck, even now they push into the late 30s, some of them, depending on them, is is their prime. But, But running backs, their prime is right right away. Their prime is when they are between 20 and 25 years old or 20 and 26 years old. So, so we're at a point right now where the current NFL collective bargaining agreement does not favor running backs in that light. If you have a running back who went to college for four years, when he's 22, he gets out and he's in his first contract, he doesn't sign a second contract till he's 26 or 27. At that point, he has maybe two good years left, maybe. But they're trying to get some more security. They're trying to get, you know, four or five-year contracts like these Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara deals are, Matt. And NFL teams are very hesitant to sign running backs until they're 31 or 32 years old because history says that they're not going to be Frank Gore and go until they're 36, 37. Well, well, and and like you alluded to, if if you went ran down that list and each of those running backs on the Super Bowl teams made $12 million a year, then the running backs would be making $12 million a year easy. But in in many of those cases, they're making sub- Sub one million, less than a million. Yes. So, so, so you know, and your team got to where it wants to go. So, what is the incentive for the team to to pay you more? And then the wheels are going to fall off on these guys. And, and and Taylor, especially, like they used him a lot in Wisconsin, and he has got a lot of you know a tread. Mm-hmm. You wonder how much treads left on the tire for him, and he never had any ish, injury issues really before in his career. 
And then we started to see that last year. Now, I'm not equating that to he's done or he's spent or he's washed right. or anything like that. It's just it's now a concern yes. where it was not before. Right. The teams uh, like Chris Ballard in this specific case, the Colts, any team in a similar situation should be hesitant after a, a running back goes through a season like that. And he's had surgery in the offseason. So you, you he's in a apparently the team and he have been in conversations about you know trying to get a, an extension going and that sort of thing but the team doesn't really have an incentive to lock anything down now until they see training camp and they see where things are kind of going on the season and how taylor's performing and we've also seen some recent big contracts for running backs not pan out yeah. dalvin like, cook and, yep. and, and Cook's Zeke, a big one Zeke Zeke Zeke's a big one. one you go a little bit further back you get todd Gurley didn't oh, work yes. out you get Devonte freeman didn't work out for the falcons i mean those were second contracts that 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 fizzled with running backs that had really good starts to their season then poof, up in smoke so so teams are understandably hesitant to do uh, to do all that much uh, with with running backs right now and here's a great stat that I actually I heard from Mina Kimes uh, was that the top 12 running backs in yards per carry last year eight of them were on their rookie contracts eight of the top 12 so just just further evidence that these running backs are their prime of their careers is right out of college it is to get into the league and immediately start to go and 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 you can make a point if you're running backs that that they should be paid earlier. Uh, but that's the point. The, the problem is with the collective bargaining agreement, they can't be. So I think what you're going to see right now is you're going to see probably from college, guys want to leave college earlier. And even if, if, if they're fourth, fifth, or sixth round picks, instead of maybe they stay in their second round pick, you know, or first round pick later on in their career, that would be tough to be a first round pick. But if you know, like if you if you leave college earlier, so you get into the league when you're 20 or nine, 20 or uh, 21 years old, you can maybe get to that second contract quicker and then you could cash in a little bit sooner. But this is also something that could be brought up somehow in the next collective bargaining agreement with with dealing with this uh, this issue with running backs. Because I think everyone across the league recognizes that running backs have value. Um, but to see it decline like this has been been somewhat uh somewhat of a i don't want to say a stunner but there's it's been there's been some surprise by it and you see obviously very good players uh like and then you see other players like wide receivers get paid so much big money and you're like well where'd that come from or guys that uh like a who, who is it like Corey um ah, what's his name who was on the titans Corey daggone it i can't remember his name but he's making as a wide receiver like 12 million dollars a year right now and r running backs it might be smith but i don't know nah, i forget his stupid name and i don't think he's on the titans anymore either i think he's somewhere else he was like a top five pick he went to western michigan or central michigan Corey davis? yeah Corey davis i knew it was like a, a basic last name but Corey davis is making like 12 million dollars this year and exactly, and I can't even remember his name. Like I, I, I just made, I made my own stupid point that like he's a wide receiver, he's making twelve million, and then other running backs are just scratching and clawing to make something like that. So this could be something that is addressed somehow in the next collective bargaining agreement. But for the time being, I wouldn't be surprised, Matt, if we saw some running backs uh, leave college earlier to try to get into the league earlier and maybe get to a second contract that can be more profitable to them. It, it's a stupid comparison, but it, it's kind of like when you buy a new car. How, how quickly that car declines in value, you, you know, uh, if you need to resell it. You just can't get what you put into it out of it. And, and it's kind of the same way with these running backs. They just they come to the league, they get de devalued very, very quickly. And now the Colts are in that scenario with Jonathan Taylor. And uh, I know when Chap was, was here with us, and we touched on this a bit earlier in the offseason, uh, he, he seemed pretty confident that the Colts were going to sign Jonathan Taylor. And he was more confident that they would get to him than Michael Pittman Jr. And I did agree to that because I think Pitt might want to wait for one more year. See what the, I yeah, thought. See yeah, what, I thought it was on yeah. his side because last year was not a good year for Michael Pittman Jr. No, because it, it wasn't a good year for anybody <laughs> with, the, with the Colts offense, really. And uh, like to be and especially wide receivers who couldn't get down the field because quarterbacks didn't have time to throw the ball no matter who was back there so so that, so from that aspect I thought that Pitt might, might want to wait a year and uh, and try to have a better season this year and then show more of what he can do and then cash in but Taylor like 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 we've been touching on like the time is now for running backs if you have the ability to get a deal done you try to get the deal done now because after another year for Taylor I mean that's another year uh, that's another year. Yeah, uh, another year gone. of sort of devaluing. Uh, I don't want to say devalue, but you, you know, you, you've put some more, taken some more tread off the tire, so to speak. Yes. I guess I'm into car stuff yeah. today, and I'm not even a car guy. Right. But. I, I would love it if if Jonathan Taylor gets a deal, because like, he seems like a great 
great human being. I would love it if he gets paid. I would love it to see the Colts succeed because that makes my job easier talking about it. And people love to hear about it when things are happening well. But I just I just think that there are a lot of roadblocks to that happening right now. Uh, so Spot Rack had a, an article, you know, kind of looking at the, the market back in late June for running backs. And they kind of, you know, said, hell, here's what we think maybe Tony Pollard should make and so much. Right. They, they looked at a deal for Taylor in the four-year $52 million range, which mm-hmm. is about $13 million a year. They didn't talk about, you know, guaranteed, how much of the salary would be guaranteed, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I just – I think a four-year contract is a lot to ask for running backs right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think right – like if there's a team that can do it, it might be the Colts because they're on a rookie quarterback deal, right. you know. So that, that gives them some more flexibility in the cap. Room, yeah. It certainly does. But you've already used some of that wiggle room with Shaquille Leonard – a luxury position at weak side linebacker, linebacker getting $20 million nearly. You've spent um, $17 million a year on Braden Smith, your right tackle, which is fine. You've spent $20 million on a guard. Quentin Nelson, when he is at his peak, is an otherworldly player. But at the end of the day, as Chap says, he's a guard. Right, not a premium position. Not a premium position at all. So you've already given to weak side linebacker, to, uh, to, to guard, a couple of non-premium positions premium premium money and you're gonna have to pay um michael pittman jr a premium position maybe premium money you're gonna have to pay in a year or two quitty pay a premium position maybe premium money we'll see if he can stay healthy that's another discussion for for another day but he's gonna get he's gonna get some money in a second contract that's for darn sure because he's shown when he's healthy on the field that he can he can be pretty dangerous whether it's a long-term deal or a short-term deal is probably what he's playing for if he can show that he can stay healthy this year and maybe rack up that 11 12 sack number instead of just missing games here and there, playing when he's not quite a hundred percent, and only sticking to you know six sacks on the season. Um, that that'll that'll determine what his value is to a franchise in the future. But all that to say, like the Colts have spent some of the money they have the wiggle room with already. It's a matter of how much exactly they have to give to Jonathan Taylor right now. And I don't, I'm, I'm not a cap expert, but I can at least shine a little bit of light on it for you guys out there who who want who want uh, a little bit more information on it. So, w- will Jonathan Taylor get signed? Uh, throughout this training camp. I, I find it difficult to believe. I don't know if the Colts will be the first to uh, to sign a deal. And especially as I get to the point that uh, I kind of made earlier is the top running backs right now in terms of your actual uh, value with uh, Kamara and McCaffrey, they are very much dual threat guys. They can stay out. Uh, they can be out there on any down. Uh, they will catch the ball out of the backfield and be dangerous consistently with it. Taylor has not shown that ability in the NFL yeah. yet. He's shown some. Like they're, I remember, they're flashes. Yes, exactly. I remember back to the what's it called the the Baltimore Ravens game in 2021 where he caught a screen pass and went 80 yards. You know, so you you said he does something. Yeah, he does some, but he's not Kamara. He's not no, McCaffrey. It, it's not an everyday every down pass type of type of back. And and I get to this point, which could be one of the most important points. Last year, he had problems in pass protection. Blitz protection. He yep, absolutely, absolutely had issues. And I go back to what Lee Steinberg, the agent, said that I quoted earlier. Running backs need to prove that without them, the quarterback is in trouble, basically. And and last year, Jonathan Taylor put the quarterback in trouble, unfortunately, too many times in pass protection. Yeah. When you mentioned it, and I, I, I apologize, I don't remember which game it was, but I just remember him whiffing on a on a block last year in a particular play and you know the quarterback got blown up on that and that was the first thought that came into mind yep and there were there that happened more than once last year that happened a couple times so um and and when there's when there's problems on the interior especially like you look to that you look to there 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 i i we, we don't need to get too into this but in the patriots game last year was because i was there and that was that was a Oh, disaster of a oh, game. Yeah. And there there were times when the problem was with the line. There were times when the problem was with the running backs anyway. But it was it, it's it's horrible to watch. It, it was clear at times no one exactly no knew what one the, knew what they were no, doing. No one knew I'm what not the putting all this on Taylor. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not no. putting all of it at all. But you would have free rushers coming up the middle and then he was not able to, yes. to kind of stop him. Even if that wasn't his assignment, you gotta try to keep that guy off your quarterback. Yes. All right. That brings us to the five most indispensable Colts for twenty twenty three. Once again, those are the five players who if the Colts do not have them, they will not be successful. If they do have them, 
they will at least have some level of success here in, in 2023. So um, when I look at the uh, the top five Colts, I'm number five, this is actually a great segue for me. I have Jonathan Taylor ranked right there at number five, most indispensable Colts for 2023. All that we've said so far is like, I, I don't want to seem Say, like that. This I'm, seems antithetical to what we've been exactly, talking about. That's the problem. But, but the, the thing is he's still valuable to the offense. He is still, especially with a, 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 a young quarterback and you're going to do a you're going to have a very run based offense I think you're going to need a good running back in there I'm saying that's not the best offense for success in the NFL because I don't think the Colts are going to be one of the best offensive teams in the NFL this year and I don't think you should expect that right now they have a rookie that they're trying to trying to break into the league somehow who has 13 starts in college. I don't know if he's going to start week one this year in Anthony Richardson, or if he's going to wait to week two, week three, week seven. Uh, but, but whoever, whenever he gets in, it is going to be a run heavy offense to get him acclimated to the league. They're not going to throw the ball around like crazy. So their offense is going to need Jonathan Taylor. You look at who his backups are. His backup is Zach Moss, who's he's fine, fine NFL running back. Fine. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my thought about Zach Moss. He's fine as an NFL running back. And to be honest, fine NFL running backs, as I've said earlier, have won Super Bowls. It, it can get it done. Exactly. But but Jonathan Taylor gives you, as you mentioned, a an added an added an explosive factor when he is on the field and when he is healthy, which he wasn't last year. So he can be still valuable to this Colts team and Colts offense. I just think that the best NFL offenses get value in other places, I guess, is the simplest way for me to put it. So I have Jonathan Taylor as my fifth most indispensable Colt for 2023. Matt, when you look at your list, what do you have for your fifth most indispensable Colt? I, I didn't actually rank them necessarily. Oh, okay, okay, I just yeah, okay. came up with names, but I will... Just say, then list them one at a time. That's fine. It doesn't I, matter which one. I had Taylor order. on there, but I put him at, he was the second name that came to mind. Okay, so okay, we'll just, yeah. we'll use that as sort of the flexible ranking. I actually put their kicker on, uh, Matt Gay. Um, yep. most, mostly because, and, and again, I know it's not the most exciting pick in the world, but uh, they lack the stability in the kicking game for the last couple of years. They signed this guy to a pretty healthy contract in order to stabilize that with a young quarterback, and you don't know how much you're going to get progressed down the field, how much you're going to be able to matriculate the ball down the field. You're going to need a guy who consistently can hit from range to get your points on the board, and that's why I put Gay on the list. I, I love that addition, and I didn't put him on my top five, and maybe I should have because, that, I mean, you, you, you could win – two or three games or lose two or three games every year right. because of your kicker. It doesn't matter if you're a good team or a bad team, honestly, in the NFL. E even bad teams, quote-unquote, are close enough from time to time, as we saw with the Colts yes, a couple times so last close. year. Exactly. So close to beating the Vikings. Really had more than close to beating the Vikings. Then I, I'm sorry. Like I, I just go back to the games that I saw last year on the road. The Patriots game, the Vikings game. Unforgettable. It was the Jaguars stuff, game. Man. I know. I, I had a heck of a year last year, let me tell you. Um, but, but yeah, Gay could be incredibly valuable and we saw it a couple years ago with Vinatieri's last year that there were games that the Colts should have won but yep. they didn't uh, because he was not 100% and he was fighting through it man he was trying his daggum best but just just, just did not have it exactly man. and it, it stunk for them it did so, so I think stabilizing that position was a big offseason move yep. for them not exactly champagne and roses and, and mm -hmm. you know stuff that's going to excite many people, but right. I do think it's important. And I think it's a step up from Chase McLaughlin, for sure, McLaughlin. Uh, but, um, but, and I liked McLaughlin last year. I really did. I he thought did he was pretty consistent. No he doubt. Was, you know, like, well, he stepped out there, and it wasn't like when, when Hot Rod stepped out, and I was like, oh, boy, what's going to happen here? You're like, eee! Yeah, exactly, yeah. like clinching uh, in your sofa. Like, what's going to happen? But uh, I felt a little bit more confidence every time that he stepped on the field, and you should feel that way for Gay, too, based on his history, at least at the start. Year. We'll see. Knock on wood. Yeah, absolutely. If that continues here. And I, heck, it's, it's Lucas Oil Stadium. It's an indoor stadium. He should have success. Like kicking off a consistent surface with no wind here and, and, and hitting it between the uprights. That should not be a problem. He should, once again, be a very reliable kicker. I love that pick. All right. I'm on to my fourth most indispensable Colt for 2023. My fourth most indispensable Colt is Shaquille Leonard. Shaq. He didn't play a whole lot last year. And the defense was still pretty good for most of last year, but down the stretch, they really went up in smoke again. Yeah, and they just didn't – his strength is just making the other team turn the ball over, yep. making them make a mistake, making a play, being in the spot. They just didn't have that guy when they needed it last year. Yep, they needed stoppers last year, and sometimes they just didn't have him on the no field. Closers. Shaquille no was, closers on that defense, was, unfortunately. Was, when he is healthy, he is truly special. I think he is – 
uh, of all the people, and we complain uh, somewhat about giving like uh, giving luxury pieces or non non important positions big deals. He's one that deserves it. In I mean, my we, mind, we complain he about deserves it. But it. When you when you talk about it, you understand why the team does it completely. Um, and like because because he turns the ball over, he gets the ball, he causes havoc. He is like a defensive end in that scenario. You know that that's what you have. That's what you pay big money to defensive ends for. It's for the sack or for the strip sack, like guys who wreak havoc in big time position scenarios. And Shaquille has proven that he does that in, in his career. Um, last year was was complete dud for him uh, because of the surgery and because of surgeries, I should say. And, and that's why, like, throughout, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you remember me saying earlier this offseason, like, I was kind of throwing up some red flags about Shaq. And, and we hope that he's ready to go here next week at the start of training camp. If he's there and he's not on PUP, that's okay. If he's there and he's playing, great. If he's on pup, then really, I'm really concerned about this season just because of the nature of the injury, you know, and fiddling around with back surgeries, plural, plural. yeah, is it just scares the bejesus out of me. And for a guy that uh, is is as athletic and twitchy and reliant on those athletic traits to do what he does on a daily basis in the NFL. I just think it's worrisome, and I need to see it happen yeah, before to, I can this, tell this. you that it's going to happen again. And right now, I just can't tell you that because I'm I'm just nervous about the prospectus. So hopefully, he's out there and he's flying around, and I'm completely like I'm you're put at ease. But I need to see it happen first. You, you got to see you you want to see that lateral quickness, especially that he's so good at. And his ability to just get to the field, get to the point where the ball is, and just make a play. Uh, he's one of the best in the league at it when he's healthy. The problem is we just haven't been able to see it. Yep. And he was, even when he came back for that, what, g- game last year, it, it just, he, he wasn't ready. Yep, completely not. And then he got hurt, and then he was yep. done. So that's so. my fourth. Uh, what, Matt, why don't you give us one of your uh, other players there and your top five most indispensable Colts for I'm, uh, I'm going to go with Quiddy Pay on here, and this is kind of a potentiality play. Um, that they just need more from him. And if they can get that from him on the edge, uh, a rush, it just helps everybody else on that defense. And that's what they really have lacked is a consistent presence there on the edge, someone who can get to the quarterback. And so uh, I say that his development is absolutely essential to this defense being pretty good this year. I, I agree. And I, I think I could go like back and forth between him or Dio Adango. Either if one, one of them takes a big step, yeah, either for sure. One of them. But I think Quiddy is the more likely of the two to do so. He was the guy that was the first round pick. He's the guy that's shown more in his first couple years in the league. So so I, I completely understand why you would put Quiddy on this list as well. And, and, and it's, you look at that in the light of losing your sack leader from last year, Unique Ngakwe, who had 10, 11 sacks, whatever it was exactly. I and forget. still is not signed by a Exactly, team, not signed by, by anyone. So, okay. Like, somebody's going to get someone who can sack the quarterback. Go ahead. Like, I, I, I know that, like, we, we've talked about this, and there's been discussion even now over uh, among us uh, writers over when we're at the Colts headquarters about Unique and and the, the importance, quote-unquote, of the sacks that he had. It doesn't seem like any of them were of the game-changing fourth quarter, you know, stop the team on a drive variety but it's still 10 or 11 sacks out there still so putting a team in a second and 18 or, yeah. or something along those lines yeah. you know so so i still like i so i so i i'm the one that's more more uh ringing the bell for unique than, than other people would be because it's it's hard to get 10 or 11 sacks in the nfl it just is so i don't care when you get them they're they're hard to get so that is production that needs to be refilled uh needs to be replaced for the colts and uh yeah um quitty pay is the most likely uh candidate to do that uh from the outside at least um let's get down uh to uh some more indispensable colts my number three most indispensable colt is michael Pittman jr we stick with one of the uh, more uh, pr- prominent positions in the NFL, the uh, premier positions. Um, you look at what they have at, at at pass catcher, and I think your options are pretty lean. Like I, I like Alec Pierce, but I don't know if he can take a big step here in year two. Like you want that if you're a Colts fan, you would love to see him to to broaden out the route tree to not just be more of a downfield threat, which he kind of was last year. He didn't do a whole lot near the line of scrimmage. But you hope that you can expand some of some of his abilities this year to take take advantage of some of the traits, the uh, the nice athletic, explosive jumping traits that he has. Um, 
and 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 use him in different ways than just the deep ball. Um, but Pittman has shown that that he has a a pretty wide ranging uh, ability. Like he's big, he's tough, he's physical. Every every time, like the first time I see Pittman after after an off season or after a couple weeks off, I'm always impressed by just how big he is. Like he is a built dude. He is a strong dude. And, and he's a different type of player than you get from a guy like that or a guy like T.Y. used to be, like who, who is a g- great wide receiver in his own right. I'm not trying to degrade T.Y. at all here, but I'm just saying Pittman is himself a physical specimen. So who T- can, T.Y.'s a little guy. Exactly, who can know. do things that other wide receivers can. Now, T.Y. could do things that other receivers Absolutely, couldn't do. Absolutely, but in a different way. Exactly, but Pittman, I think, is a, is a special receiver, and this year he has a real chance to make himself one of the highest-paid receivers in the NFL. Not one of the most high-paid, but he can put him in that himself in that discussion for wide receiver one territory um, because they're going to throw the ball more uh, better this year. They better throw it better this year than they did last year. It's hard to go down from what they were, whether it's Gardner Minshew throwing, which I think will be the case at the start of the season. That's just what I'm leaning right now. And then Anthony Richardson later. You're going to try to develop that relationship between those two. I, I think that that the indispensability for Pittman is in part because he is something that they don't have, I don't think, in anybody else. Um, and if you go beyond him, um, I, I just think there's a whole lot more unproven guys and guys that you like. Like I like Josh Downs. I'm eager to see what he can do. And I'm like I said, I like Alec Pierce, and I'm eager to see if he can take a step this year. But Pitt has proven a little bit more, and I think if, if you lost him, you would lose a whole lot of what you want to do uh, in the offense. So he is on my list now, my number third most indispensable Colt this year, Matt. Oh, no arguments with Pittman. I did. I didn't get him on mine. If if I did an honorable mention, he would he would definitely be in there. And I, I vacillated between putting him on and off. Um, it, it, with the with the Colts receiver, it's it's really not for a lack of talent. I don't think it's just a lack of proven experience and what we've actually been able to see out on the field. Last year, it's just a mulligan for everybody. So Pittman didn't have a great season, but how could he? You, the quarterback had no time. You couldn't get open. Um, so I, I think it was an aberration for him. I, I do agree with you. I think with whether it's Minshew or Richardson, I think he's going to have a solid season. I think it's going to set him up for a pretty decent payday. Mm-hmm. And I'll be disappointed, and I know he'll be disappointed as well if that's not the case. Yep. All right. So that's uh, three of our top five most indispensable Colts. Well, what? give me, uh, give me a third for you Well, now. this one almost goes all along with your Shaq Leonard, but I went in another direction and said Zaire Franklin. Now, all I right. know he's not a top-tier player for Syracuse the Colts. University Syracuse University zone. Syracuse's own Zaire Franklin, but... Uh, when you talk about indispensability with uh, kind of the question marks about whether Shaq's going to be able to play, what his level's going to be, when he's going to be able to step in, I think Franklin's very, very important to the defense. And he showed last year that while he may lack some of that playmaking ability that you get from Shaq, he's a solid player in that position. And I think because of the depth that he provides there in case Leonard is not able to play, that is why I put him on my list. I'll say this. Yeah. If Shaquille Leonard doesn't play, then Zaire Franklin jumps to the top right. of my list for sure. And he should have been there anyway as a Syracuse guy. What am I thinking? No, but, uh, but yeah, I love Zaire. I love that. He's ironed out a space for himself in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. I, I loved how he's carved from a, like a special team yep. specialist into being like a really good starting line. Yep. And, and from the beginning, like stepped in and was a leader here. Like he was a special teams captain year two. Um, when, when everything went down with, with George Floyd a couple years ago and the Colts like got together, they held, held a press conference where they all like stood together in front of the team, in front of us, the media, like you, they had Jacoby Brissett speak, who is the quarterback starting quarterback. And they had Zaire Franklin speak. Like those were the two guys. And that was before Zaire was playing at all, you know, on, on any level, really. He was playing on special teams, but it was before he was seeing any snaps on, um, on defense. So that, that shows you the level of respect within that organization for Zaire and the voice that he has and the respect that he has among his teammates and the coaching staff in the front office. So like he, he, he has earned everything that he has gotten and, and I love to see it. And uh, just the fact that we went to Syracuse, not at the same time, but uh, the fact that we both went there is, is just more prideful for me, but, but every Colts fan should be proud of, of having a guy like Zaire on, on their roster. And, and it's some of those intangibles. I think that, kind of triggered some indispensability for Mm -hmm. me for him yes for sure um all right we're on to the top two uh most indispensable colts for 2023 uh my number two most indispensable colt for 2023 is braden smith right tackle braden smith i need to put somebody on the offensive line up there and he is the best offensive lineman you have right now you need some kind of stability on the line and like I, I would love to put the entire offensive line here all as one <laughs> unit, but that's just that's just not what the uh, the thing is. Um, but I like you, you think 
Nice. <laughs> Matt, Matt just circled something. I'll, I'll let him describe this in a, in a bit, but, but it's funny. Um, with, with Braden Smith, like I, I was kind of debating what I wanted to do. Like, did it, what I want to put Quentin Nelson there. He is a guard. And I think that like he, he does bring some kind of a, a level of toughness and a level of grittiness that can rub off on the entire line. Uh, but, but that certainly didn't happen last year. Like I think about Ryan Kelly and he's the guy who's kind of in the middle of everything. Obviously as the center, he's the one that calls, excuse me, makes the calls. And obviously there were some times last year where the calls were not either relayed or not, uh, uh, understood from person to person up and down the line. And the uh, assignments were not followed as they should have been. So I think Ryan Kelly was, was very close for me to me, including here somewhere, um, Bernard Ryman, I think he is crucial. I really do. But I just, I, I if you lose him, then you put in another rookie, and I don't know how big the uh, the gap is there from one to the next. I just don't. And I feel like the gap is bigger if Braden Smith would not be able to play if he had to start the rookie. Um, what's Blake, his face? Yeah, Blake, Blake uh, uh, Freeland. Freeland. Yeah, I think the gap is bigger. So he's just, like, you would lose a lot more if you lost a guy like Braden Smith. So that's where I'm leaning toward here. And, and I understand if people wanted to go somewhere different on the offensive line, but but I think Braden Smith or somebody on the offensive line needs to be here in your most indispensable Colts. Well, I'm, I'm glad you took the bold step of putting somebody on the offensive line on because I had this debate as well when I was putting my list together, and I couldn't figure it out. Should it be Ryan? Kelly because he is at the center he makes a lot of money and he makes all the calls is it Quentin because he's uh, essential to that offensive line he makes a lot of money again they've spent a lot of him and they think he's a generational talent and he's shown that at times on the field or do you go with uh, Raymond because he's the left tackle and that's one of the most the most essential point uh, position there on that line or do you go with Braden Smith who's the right tackle makes quite a bit of money and is one of their more solid players so I just kind of punted on the offensive line which I guess I should should have done on special teams, but um, I, I no, yeah, no, no arguments there. All right. Well, who's uh, give me one more for you. You have uh, two I'm, more I'm on your JT. list. JT right. was uh, the second guy that I listed yep. there, and we've already kind of talked ad nauseum about JT and, and his importance to this team, and will he get a new contract and all that. But I think with the rookie quarterback, especially if they want to run some of these uh, run option type of play type things, JT is going to be very important to that. Um, with the development of Richardson, and I don't, I don't think uh, there is any player that is that you could argue that any player would be any less dispensable than JT for them. All right, we got uh, number one now, most indispensable Colt for 2023. I have DeForest Buckner topping my list. Ding, right ding, ding. In the middle of the defensive line, one of the few defensive interior linemen in the NFL that is as disruptive yep. as he is. Game he's, record. He's a rare talent. Like and like, if you lose him, you still have Grover in the middle, and I think Grover is one of the more underrated defensive interior linemen in the league. But he just doesn't have the same get up the field, get into the backfield, disrupt the play in the backfield as uh, as uh, Buckner does. Like I still think he's a great defensive lineman, and that's a heck of a pair. And Grover's entering the last year of his contract too, right now this year. I think he is due for a payday at some time himself, whether it's uh, this year or during training camp or at the end of this season into next year. Uh, he's another guy you have to worry about paying somehow. Yes. Add that to, to the list of guys that, that need to be paid at some time. So, um, so anyway, I, I think Buckner gives you something that that very few teams in the NFL have. And uh, if you're talking about replacing sacks, like we'd mentioned earlier, like you had Quiddy Pay on your list, I think that some of that onus certainly has to fall on Buckner too to to pick up the slack uh, from the interior. It doesn't it doesn't always just have to be exterior pressure? It can be from the interior as well. So I'd love to see him get back up to the double digit sack range and uh, and be one of the um, one of the disruptors on a on a game to game basis that. Um, that I know that he can be. And he was still very, he was very good last year. Don't get me wrong. I just think that his production dipped. It seemed like it dipped a little bit, like yeah, everybody's did. Fr from a from a raw numbers perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so get some of those numbers back. But he's obviously one of the leaders on the team too. Um, so I, I think he's he, he's valuable to be there in the locker room on the sideline. Um, he he's not afraid to call people out. I'm not going to tell the exact story, but I did. We like there there is there's a good story about him calling someone out. Um, yeah, that I'll tell you a little bit afterward, Matt. That's a a, a little tease. But um, uh, but anyway, um, I, I think Buckner is incredibly valued to this team and valuable to the defense as a whole. It's where where you start in the trenches is where Chris Bauer has always said, and, and I believe that that it start. That's why I have offensive linemen and defensive linemen right there in, in the top two of, of mine. So uh, when you have when you have the situation that you have now, like obviously look back to the the two thousands Colts and Peyton Manning would be number one on everyone's roster because your number two quarterback is Jim Sorge. You know, so uh, <laughs> if you lose Peyton, you're you're done. 
done. You're, you're, done. you're finished. Yeah, just so, write it off. Yeah, and, but both quarterback right now, you know, like going back and forth between two guys, obviously the most indispensable player on this Colts roster for the future of the franchise is Anthony Richardson, but we're talking about just this year, so that's why I have DeForest Buckner number one on my list for most indispensable Colts this season. Uh, Buck was at the top of my list, too. His, uh, his ability to require the double team, his ability to play the run, his ability to, to pressure the quarterback, he just kind of he does everything for this defense. Uh, he's a game wrecker for them. And uh, he's just the to, to me, he's the team's best, most reliable player, even if he's at 80 mm-hmm. percent, uh, which he was at some points in the past couple of years. And he's still still been great. So, um, yeah, Buckner's one of my favorite players on the team. I have a lot of respect for him, and I, I think he's their most indi- indispensable player. And I, I wrote in the notes at my top, I threw out Richardson just too obvious for now. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, for now, he's not he's not on this list. But but like I said, if you want to look at most indispensable for the next five years, obviously, like right now, because you want him to get out there and you want him to get reps. Like if you're looking to the future, then he's that's a different list entirely. Um, You put him on the list. I would put I would definitely have your left tackle Ryman on that list. If you're talking about the future, I'd probably have Quiddy Pay on my list. I'm, I'm talking about like prime positions here understandably so and trying to develop those guys I might even have Alec Pierce on that list because you need some more valuable pieces outside besides Michael Pittman Jr. Um, uh, so so anyway that, that was that was my very quick uh, thoughts to like my my, my five-year-long list for most indispensable Colts but uh, but yeah Richardson we'll, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about Richardson over the next couple yes. weeks yep. and, and I think I really think Matt that like, I don't know how good Richardson's going to be this year. I really don't. It's a total crap shit. Complete coin flip. I, but I have no idea. I think he's going to be fun to watch in training camp because that's kind of where he can shine and he can show some of his athletic traits. He's going to make some plays that really, really wow you and really impress the fans out there in the stands. So I think if you go, it is going to be a good time watching this next Colts quarterback. I just don't know if it's going to translate to the actual field when there is a live rush coming at him when uh, the situation is just a little bit different and when the mistakes that he will also make right. out there at training camp, you don't just, ah, that was a mistake. But did you see that throw that he made two throws ago? Like, in, in, in the NFL, like in games, that throw, awesome throw you made two throws ago is completely wiped out by the interception. Right. You just threw the stupid interception in the red zone. But if you go and you watch it in training camp, it kind of balances out at, or it tilts in your favor. Like you look, look at what, the, what tools this guy has. It gives him a great opportunity to show those tools. So I think that all, all that to say, I really do think fans who want to head out to Westfield uh, and if he's healthy out there, which he should be, I haven't heard anything different, but if he, if he's out there performing, I think you're going to have a good time watching him. Yeah. That's what I'm looking most forward to is just kind of getting a, a better sense of how he fits in with, everybody out there and i think we'll get a little bit of that in training camp you'll see some jaw dropping moments and probably even when when luck played you'll have some boneheaded things that bonehead play and, and, yeah, and you'll just be like what were you doing man yep. but i think the potential is there and and that's what everybody's just kind of salivating over yep so really looking forward to training camp starting up next week looking forward to have our very own mike chapel back in the lineup here and uh, even in limited fashion we'll get him uh, we'll get him on this podcast as soon as we can hopefully it will be next week um, we're gonna have to look at the training camp schedule to see exactly when we have to do this stuff now, Matt, because this is gonna be a, it's, it's not like it's not our wide open uh, time exactly. frame here. We're gonna yep. we're gonna work out some time. We will be here, and um, I think there's a lot of earlier. Well, I'm not gonna say. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that after. No, nobody cares about us working out our schedule. They just want to hear us on, on the podcast. So we'll be out there for sure. We plan to be doing more podcasts every week, um, and really looking forward to being out there. Uh, at training camp and seeing what this uh, this Colts team turns into over the next couple weeks under a new head coach, new QB1. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun this year, I think. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes throughout the week. Uh, Matt Adams is at Statomatty. Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 You can follow him when he gets back into full service online at fox59.com, cbs4indy.com for all his Colts stories throughout camp. I'm Dave Griffiths. I remember my last name. Don't worry. Dave Griffiths. You can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. And uh, we'll see you next week when camp begins on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 